Welcome to another episode of The Inside Look. You'll note that I said the name right this time, Lucas. Uh, Lucas is Muller of RSL Soapbox fame. He's my deputy editor. I'm Matt Montgomery, the managing editor. I don't know what our titles mean, but uh, I guess I gave them to us. I think of you as the sheriff. Oh, cool. Sheriff Matt. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that entirely, but that is what it is. Lucas is here to tell us about an interview he conducted uh, with Landon Southwick. Uh, recently. I don't know exactly when you recorded that, Lucas. Uh, Landon has been involved with the Real Salt Lake organization, and notably, up until this season, was the Real Monarchs uh, commentator and did a, a smash-up job with that um, until the league decided they wanted to take things in a weird, bad direction. Anyway, uh, Lucas, tell us about your interview and your discussion with Landon. Yeah, it it was great. Landon is such a nice dude. He's just really warm, very like friendly, um, but also very unassuming. And he knows. I, I mean, I feel like more than almost more than anyone about about the USL was really fantastic at at broadcasting, um, and that's something that I think he wants to stay involved in. We we talk about that during the interview, so you can hear his response. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the Monarchs season is starting up. Uh, they've played as of right now one game, but they're in this new league, MLS Next Pro, which is just rolls off the tongue. Um, and I think from an outsider, it kind of feels like it doesn't make sense. Like, why is MLS doing this? Are there any advantages? You know, if you watched the game on Sunday against Tacoma Defiance, was not an enjoyable viewing experience, but no, and it was an AI camera that was recording it, right? Yeah, that didn't track the ball, uh, so it struggled. From what I've been told, um, I think that it was second or third division in France uses it too, and I think mm. they've got it dialed in a little bit more. So hopefully, it improves. But I mean, even just the quality of the picture was nowhere near what the broadcast had been under uh, the Monarchs crew when they were overseeing it. But essentially, uh, Major League Soccer took over broadcasting. So we talk about about that aspect, but just kind of get to know Landon a little bit. He's a guy that you know I've known of for, for years. Um, it was good to kind of hear a little bit about his story, his involvement in soccer, and then what to expect from the Monarchs this season, what to expect from the league, um, and kind of what, what is probably going to happen over the next few years with the team. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to this. Uh, I hope you all are too, dear listeners. Uh, I guess as they say in show business, let's uh, roll the tape. Hello, everyone. Lucas Muller here uh, with the second installment of The Inside Look. Uh, today, I'm speaking with USL broadcasting legend Landon Southwick. Uh, if you've ever watched a Monarchs game, uh, you've heard Landon doing the play-by-play. -play. Always does an excellent job. Um, but with the start of the new Monarch season, them joining a new, a newly minted uh, league in the U.S. Uh, or excuse me, MLS Next Pro, uh, I just wanted to reach out to Landon and chat with him about all things Monarchs related. So, Landon, thanks for joining, and how are you this evening? Man, thanks for having me on. First and foremost, I, I appreciate the the invite. It's always fun to talk to uh, fellow fans, fellow media. I mean, you're a you're a media legend. I think you're <laughs> most known for your seat photos, but uh, we'll we'll not go there. Those are some of my favorite uh, 
jokes to crack on Twitter about uh, clean looking seats at stadiums. I'm glad so. I have an iconic style <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's good. It's good, man. I always appreciate uh, all that you've done and uh, continue to do for the organization. It's fun to see content. And I really respect guys like you trying to continue to put out great content because I think that's what makes the fabric of our club continue to to grow and expand and bring in new fans. So, so thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Lionel. I really appreciate that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm, if people aren't too connected to the, to the Monarchs, they might not know who you are. So could you just tell me, like, tell our listeners a little bit about like who you are, how you got into soccer, you know, kind of all that. Yeah, love to. I mean, it, it's a it's a long story in in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, I grew up playing soccer as a as a four or five year old. Um, I grew up in the state of Washington, um, so spent some time up in Seattle, just uh, south of Seattle, and was uh, playing rec soccer for for most of my young life. Enjoyed it, um, but was really just kind of a multi sport kid. My parents let me play a little bit of everything: a little baseball, a little track, basketball, and. Um, so soccer was never at the forefront, but I really loved it and uh, continued to to enjoy it as I moved to Utah when I was 12 um, with my family back to where my parents were from. And uh, we moved to Kaysville, Utah and uh, started playing AYSO and getting more friends and getting more involved on the soccer side. And uh, basketball at that point was my my love. I wanted to be a pro basketball player at that point. And uh, as a as a 14, 15 year old, I got cuts uh, from the junior high basketball team. And that's really what made me go, well, I'm still pretty good at soccer. Maybe there's something there. So I started playing a little bit more, started playing up on a couple teams and and uh, playing. I played for Wasatch uh, Soccer Club, for those that know that, and and spent some time there playing on a team and, and kind of grew a lot and uh, decided I wanted to play a little bit more competitively and moved over to Rush um, with a bunch of... Uh, Kaysville boys that I knew and we played for rush as a, a bunch of local kids from Kaysville. And, uh, we all made the, the high school soccer team at Davis and, and played for a pretty amazing coach there in, in, uh, coach Sean Johnson. And then, uh, Suli Ponksavoff, who has won a lot of state championships with the men and women's teams there at, uh, Davis and kind of started getting in my groove when I was in high school and, and really grew to love soccer at that same time, right at about that same time. That's when Real Salt Lake was born in, uh, you know, in 2015. And I, you know, I, I remember reading the newspaper going, this is cool. We've got an MLS team, you know, what does that mean? And me and my dad got tickets and sister went to that first game. And I remember watching, you know, or that first home game and watching Dunny plant the flag and, and wow. what it meant to a 15, 16 year old in the crowd. I mean, it meant everything to me, you know, it, it meant there was something to aspire to play for. And, and as I continued to play, you know, it was kind of fun. It's, as a 17 year old, um, as a part of ODP, we got the chance to go train and I'm going to, I'm blanking if it was Ellinger or Christ at the time, but we got a chance to go try out for the, what was kind of the RSL Academy at mm. the time. And, uh, they, that group went to the sum cup. Um, and I'm sure it's someone like wiki Trey could tell you way more about <laughs> that. Uh, but a lot of those guys, I mean, that was the hopeful path to, to MLS at that point for a lot of us. We were hoping, you know, we'd get a shot and you'd see these players and train around these guys. And it didn't work out for me, which was fine at that level and uh, at the with the RSL side, but uh, got a cool taste. I remember getting a cool T-shirt thinking it was really cool to, to be around the club in a different way as a, you know, as a teenager, as a high schooler, and then uh, decided to... Uh, pursue soccer a little deeper, went on to play at a junior college in Iowa, a college called Iowa Western. 
um, one of the top uh, JUCOs in the nation. They uh, won the national championship this last year. And then the year before, they lost to Salt Lake Community College. Um, and Mark Davis, who's a, who's a big RSL fan and a big, uh, big, big fan of the club and done some awesome things. He ended up being my college coach later on in, in my career, but, uh, spent time at Iowa Western. We had a good season, uh, went to the national tournaments, uh, got knocked out in the sweet 16, um, uh, by a team in Chicago. It was really fun, fun game, got spit on. So that was, wow. that was, uh, that was a, a nice, uh, by the nation's third leading scorer. And you know what? Funny enough, now looking back at records and stuff, I actually think Justin Miram was playing um, JUCO soccer at the same time at Yavapai. Huh. Uh, so if we would have won that game, we probably would have gone on to play Yavapai and Justin. Wow. Um, and I think he went on to win the national championship. If I'm not mistaken, they went undefeated that year. You may have to look that up and after, but uh, kind of a crazy little scenario. And then uh, went on a mission for two years to Spain. Uh, lived in northern Spain. I lived in soccer country at the height of Spanish soccer. I was there for the World Cup um, that Spain won. Uh, we were walking the streets in the night of the World Cup and got to got to experience some of that as my companion and I uh, got to go down and watch it from outside of Bahar and watch the Iniesta score a goal in extra time. So that was pretty fun and got to celebrate the next little bit. And then yeah, what was, there for what was really it like being in Spain? I mean, I feel like that whole country it was nuts, just man. Erupted. It was nuts. Yeah, it was nuts. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen as a young American, you know, who understood soccer. It meant a lot. It was cool to see fans just enjoying winning the World Cup. And, you know, I mean, you know, what comes with winning the World Cup, a baby boom and, <laughs> and a lot of different things like that. I mean, there was a lot going on in that country um, that week. And, and it was really during the height of Guardiola at Barcelona. So we saw a lot of that and we saw a lot of those you know, fans streaming out of Comp Now. And and we lived at one point, I lived two miles from Comp Now. So it was pretty fun. We got to see stuff all the time and talk soccer on the street and have fun. And, you know, during that same era, that was when Real Salt Lake won the title. Unfortunately, I wasn't home, but uh, I got to talk a lot of crap to a lot of Spaniards about uh, how my team had just beat David Beckham, <laughs> which was always kind of fun because most people knew who he was because yeah. he played for Real Madrid. So a lot of cool things in that came back off a mission and uh, still loved the game, continued to watch RSL and kind of enjoy what was there and uh, went to Utah state for a year thinking I wanted to be done, but decided I wanted to go play college soccer again. So I went to, to BYU Hawaii and uh, finished out my college career there and had a, had a fun college career as a center back there and had some awesome teammates that have done some really cool things ever since. I mean, some of these guys that have just blown up in the business world, if you've heard of thread wallets, the guy yeah. who created Thread Wallets was one of my teammates, Colby Bauer. The Bucket List family, Garrett G, was one of my teammates. Mm. Um, Root, the app, one of the big uni almost unicorn apps out of Utah Valley. Mike Moreno was on that team. So we had some fun players, an amazing coach in, in Mark Davis, who's won a national championship at Slick Sense. And just kind of a fun career. And as it got to the end, I, I really thought I wanted to keep playing. And my option was to go to the USL, well, kind of the usl combine it was the info sports combined in florida in fort lauderdale mm -hmm. and got got an invite and uh had no money to my name in hawaii and figured that was probably the end of my career path mm -hmm. down that way so uh came back to utah and that's when i connected up with the likes of trey and and uh, a bunch of those guys at the time and they were all trying to figure out what this monarchs team looked like that was just about to happen and and uh, I said, hey, I want to commentate. And it came about that Bill Riley was going to do some games, but they would love to have someone fill in and got got put in and got a chance to commentate some games in that first year. And 
really grew to love what what I do today with the Monarchs and, and commentating and and helping these young players grow. So long story. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of soccer. I love it. I've grown with it, but uh, it's been fun to be on the broadcast side to watch these Monarch players grow, to see some of these guys have for true first team success, to win a championship. I mean, it is it's all exciting. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, they they still feel like a brand new team to me and they're really not, but they also have, you know, accomplished a good bit winning uh, you know, re- winning the regular season, winning the yep. the championship in 2019. Um, but I did want to ask Don't you, forget the Four Corners Cup. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Four Corners the most Cup. Important we did win that piece too. of silverware <laughs> they have. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, how did you get into broadcasting? Was it really that? I mean, had you did you have more experience? Before you know, you were involved I, with the I, yeah, that's a great question. At BYU Hawaii, I got a chance to uh, do some commentating for basketball and women's volleyball. Uh, they have BYU TV out there, and a lot of it was really cool because they don't have a broadcast major out there or anything like that. I was a business guy, and uh, but worked for the athletic department. And uh, one night, they asked if I wanted to sit on a headset, and I always enjoyed it as a kid. I listened to the radio, um, listened to a lot of sporting events on the radio. Listen to a guy named Dave Niehaus, uh, who's who's one of my idols. There's a guy named Dave Niehaus and Rick Riz, and they're, hmm. I think, two of the greatest uh, sports commentators out there. Um, if you actually go listen to a s- song by Macklemore, there's a song called uh, called My Oh My. And uh, that song is paying tribute to this broadcaster, Dave Niehaus. And, hmm. and that's how I grew my love. I'd listen to this radio station, 710 Cairo, and on my little boom box that I got when I was like nine years old. And it became part of me that I thought broadcast was a cool thing that, you know, you got paid to talk about sports and you got got a chance to be around sports. And, and uh, ever since those young days, moving to college, when I really got to see it, and then I did an internship at ESPN when I was in college out in Bristol, Connecticut, oh, wow. and got to work with some cool personalities out there, including Colin Cowherd and a different different people like that, and and really realized that that was my way I could stay in sports, maybe. Mm. Talk about sports, regurgitate facts. I mean, my wife would say I'm a, a fanatic on stupid knowledge, <laughs> like just just things that don't matter, you know, sometimes. But it's fun to, you know, sit and talk about how many games this player played in or, you know, what college he played at or, you know, how old he is or these different things that, that are important to broadcasters but and, and help tell the story, but aren't important in anything else other than that. So it, it grew to be a love for me and it grew to be an opportunity that I could stay around the club that I loved, but not work full time in it and uh, kind of use it as my stress relief, something else that I could do on the side. And that's that's really where it's been ever since, that kind of love to do something else, but also stay close to the club and get to watch you know, the club grow and see these players grow and, and you know, help some of these kids to fulfill their dream that you know, maybe I fell a touch short on, you know, or, or wasn't, uh, wasn't able to make it that I can help some of these young guys, like a, like a Gavin Beavers or some of these young guys now that are trying to make it and have a cool story along the way. Mm-hmm. So I do want to jump in in a minute here about some of the changes with the new league. But one thing that we know is they are taking over the broadcast. So what does that mean for you and your role with the Monarchs? You know, there's a lot to still come out and and uh, I won't uh, I won't go too much into that yet as there's still stuff, still still stuff coming out. But uh, as of now, there's going to be no no local broadcast. So uh, the the challenge from the league is the league's going to have um a broadcaster assigned it sounds like a single broadcaster uh we saw that in the tacoma game there was a single broadcaster that covered the game with a single camera view 
Um, and there's some cool technology there, um, but uh, still lacking, I think, for most fans. And I, I think that's the hardest part for me to watch is it's like, come on, we we could do better. You know, there's great production teams here in Utah. Chidzy and his team have always done an awesome job with uh, production on that side. Uh, for USL championship games for the Monarchs. And it's been fun to be on the call, but uh, for this year, it's, we're going to take a little bit of a break. I know, uh, I know there's a lot of people working behind the scenes to try to make things happen and push the league in a different direction. Uh, So we'll see if some of that comes to fruition. I can only imagine the league is going to want to up the quality of what you're, what you're seeing. Um, These are the next professionals that we hope to grow for the MLS. And I think if that's the quality we're putting out, I mean, I, I would hope something would change. So let me leave it at that. I think there, I think there's many people working behind the scenes at the club, at our club specifically, that are trying to make changes. And I mean, you know, including Tyler Gibbons. I know he's look at all that he's done with the club yeah. and continues to do. I, 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 I can only help to think that there's more to come, and this is not the end of the story. So ho- hopefully, my voice gets to, I get to sit behind a mic again at some point and uh, call some games from a booth. But uh, if not, I will be a huge fan and, and rock my rock my monarchs jerseys whenever mm-hmm. i can the ones with the stars though just remember that i oh, want yeah. the star there yeah. uh, they earned <laughs> that star i mean as yep. someone who is not affiliated <laughs> with either the club or the league the broadcast was definitely garbage and uh i think you're right that if they want to compete compete with the usl they they have to put a better product in tv that looks that doesn't just look like it's a high school game and I think you said that right. I mean, if they want to compete with the USL championship, there's going to have to be some work done there. And I think, you know, I think they can. I think ultimately the league MLS is in a good spot. They're obviously negotiating TV deal situations for next season. I cannot imagine this being packaged as a part of that deal in some form. Yeah. And ESPN sounds like the likely destination for stuff like that as they continue to grow their soccer properties. So we'll see. So, you know, it sounds like you want to stay involved in broad, you know, the broadcasting world. Um, is that something you'd ever want to do full time? Like if RSL were like, hey, we need a new play by play guy or, you know, Fox Soccer was like, you know what? We don't like John Strong anymore. Get him out of here. We want Landon. Would like, would you do that uh, full time or you kind of alluded to it's a nice outlet that's not your full time gig? I don't know if I would ever do it full time. I mean, I, I can never say never. It's a dream to be able to be involved with soccer and to be able to help fans enjoy the game uh, through some of the knowledge or through some of the studying that I can do. Um, I, I would, I would be hard to say no on something ever uh, as a great opportunity. I mean, the story of John Strong is pretty awesome. You know, I'm always envious of what he's done in his career. I mean, Brian Dunseth, Dunny. I mean his story is pretty fun to watch. And I think he's one of the best out there color commentators out there. And so it's fun to watch these guys have success. Um, would I love an opportunity? Yeah. I'd love an opportunity. I'll, I'll, I'll not say no with my wife, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, and I think as, as I continue to have my family grow, I've got two little ones with one on the way as there's growth in that, that side of my world, who knows what that brings. My daughter played her first soccer game this week Ooh, wow. or this last week and scored her first oh, goal in, in her first incredible. game. So we're, 
we're we're winning at the Southwick household. But uh, mm. you know, I, I mean, Lucas, to answer the question, I would never. I, I have to think about every big opportunity. But uh, I hope someday to continue to help broadcasting, whether it's RSL or the Monarchs. I mean, I, I love this club. I love this organization as a whole. You know, and and uh, hope to continue to help spread the word about our team and and our guys and help fans enjoy the game. Nice. So I'm always kind of curious, having never been involved with broadcasting at any level, uh, what like what does your prep look like before a game? Like, how do you get ready? You know, there's a lot of watching games. I, I think we we always talk about that, and I don't know how other guys are. I mean, I, I I'm sure I should ask Dunny or a DJ this question, but uh, I typically will go back and watch the last game that the Monarchs have played in. So if it's a Monarchs game, I'll watch the Monarchs game, and then I'll watch the other team's game. And as I watch those games, I'll take notes. I'll try to watch styles. I'll try to watch, you know, star players, standout players. I'll also then pull up the stats and look in the stats of how it went, possession, heat maps, the whole nine yards on that stuff. And then I'll spend a good time in each team's media kit, looking at players, understanding who's playing, where they play, what foot they prefer, you know, whatever facts I can find out about a player. And then a lot of that goes into a notebook. I've got a a cool notebook that uh, Taryn gave me a number of years ago that has Monarch's logo, the Royals logo and RSL's logo in it. And I'm about halfway through that book of just pure notes. Mm. And it's just, you know, I, I, I jot things down in it and try to keep facts together and anything I can. And then a lot of times after I watch those games and gather all that information, I, I uh, sit down and start to draw out kind of what I want to do. Um, putting some st- statistics into kind of some buckets of maybe first half type of content or when I'm talking about a player. And then I use a lineup sheet. I use a, a legal size of paper that that I draw out a soccer field on and and put players in positions and try to keep my starters on a sheet in front of me. And by that point, most of the things are internalized. <laughs> um, so, you know, players' heights and weights and numbers and stupid facts or stupid stories are pretty much internalized, but uh, I use a little cheat sheet in front of me. And then at that point, I'll probably watch the Monarchs game one more time, or sometimes I'll go listen to another commentator pronounce names mm-hmm. or hear some of that and just go through some of those final things. And for me, it's, it's a lot of repetition watching things. I'll, I'll think through things. And uh, for me at that point, I'm ready to go and get down to the stadium and, and uh, take in the sights and the sounds, talk to some coaches and uh, find out what's going on. So pretty, pretty standard. I think for most people getting stuff in my mind and just reading through things over and over again, but uh, pretty fun. So uh, the Monarchs, you know, obviously the big news moving from USL championship to MLS next pro. Why, why do you think from your perspective, MLS wanted to start that new league rather than kind of let the existing ecosystem of MLS sort of two teams playing in usl well i think if you think about what's going on in the in the world coming up 2026 world cup is here in the u.s Uh, i think the growth of soccer is at a point where it's going to grow quickly Uh, i think we've got a lot of young kids that have been in the game for a period of time Uh, there's a lot of academies that are developing talent There's a lot of foreign academies that are coming into this areas trying to develop talent. And the MLS wants to keep some of this talent. And I think there was a fear that not being able to control some of that was going to be a struggle. 
you think about the USL championship, they always hated the MLS two teams. And uh, I'll, I'll use the word hate. It's probably not politically correct mm-hmm. on that, but uh, there was uh, not a lot of love for those clubs. And I think there was a lot of frustration when the Monarchs or the Red Bulls two won USL championships because it almost felt like, well, they're not doing it our way and they still won. And I think that was a little slap to the USL championship. But I think, I mean, the USL championship, what it's tried to create is something awesome. A lower league um, in the U, in the MLS or then the MLS that had some of these cities that deserved soccer teams that just could not get an MLS franchise. I mean, you've got the Sacramento's of the world that who knows if they get a MLS team or a Phoenix, some of these out West that, you know, have cool situations. Louisville is including one. And you went out to that stadium or went out to that game at the, at the championship in 2019. I mean, they've got great fans and a great environment and they've had a great team for years and years. And their, their coach is a former monarch even, um, you know, and, and, and what's cool there for the, the USL is that it's grown. But I think MLS saw that and said, Hey, we want to be a part of some of this growth. And the USL is hindering some of the growth of our players. They don't love the young players. They don't love the academy teams. I mean, Tacoma is a perfect example. Tacoma always fielded like a 17 to 19-year-old team. And I think it frustrated the USL championship. But for their organization, that's what they felt like was important to help develop talent in the pipeline. But losing every game doesn't help a kid grow always. At that point, you've got to win some games and have success. And I think that's why you saw the club um, figure out a mix for the, with the Monarchs for a while of some young talent with some older talent. I mean, Ochoa, could you credit some of his growth to that year with the Monarchs winning the title? I think you can. You know, you look at some of these other guys, Andrew Brody, who's starting to shine through. Pablo Ruiz had some time. I mean, you could go down the list of these guys that have had chances with the Monarchs and see their growth. And I think the MLS saw that as an opportunity to help mesh the two. And I think there are some cool things coming. I, I hope it's not another reserve league. Um, we, we saw that failed experiment twice in the MLS. And I don't, I don't think that's the case, uh, but you have to you have to hope they throw some continue to throw resources behind the MLS Next Pro. Yeah, it is really interesting to think about. Uh, it's certainly shorter term development, but how many of the guys from the 2019 team have been impactful on on our current iteration of Real Salt Lake? Um, but just I guess I feel like. The way people are talking about MLS Next Pro is not super positive. Like no one is real jazzed about it. Do you feel like it's going to be a step down in quality? And if so, do you think that is just a byproduct of maybe the first year or two and it and it kind of gets back up to a more competitive level? Yeah, I think it'll get competitive. I think you'll see some cool things. They've got some cool mechanisms built in. I know there's a lot of stuff and something that I still need to spend some time researching are the are the salary type situations. There's a lot of mechanisms built to have academy players, young international talent, and some of these fringe players there. And I think you're going to see a mix of those. Obviously, you can't have one of the rules is you can't have more than five academy guys on the field for your team at any given time. So they don't want it to be an academy league. They want it to be a pro league. And these guys, a lot of them sign pro contracts and are vying for that opportunity to play for the first team. And I think you may see a little hiccup as things start, as the league tries to get its feet under it. Uh, The USL championship, many people don't remember. It almost sunk. If it wasn't for MLS two teams, that league would have probably gone under. 
Um, and I think there was some struggle there. And I think right now what you're seeing is MLS Next Pro. They're going to figure out what makes sense. And I think you're going to see this connection finally truly between the academy and the first team. And that's the goal. And then you're going to have some independent teams. There's only one at this point. You're going to have some additional independent teams that'll essentially be teams going, hey, come buy our players. We've had a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. And the, they're going to take their chances on some older guys that maybe don't fit anywhere else. And some guys that know they want an MLS shot, not just a USL championship chip shot. And there's, But there's going to be guys that don't come over to the league because they make great money in the USL championship and they're playing well. Um, and you just may never see them in the back in the MLS situation in the hierarchy that's there. So give it a little bit. It may not even take a year. It may take a year. It may take two years. Uh, it's hard to tell after week one. Uh, they've got some cool rules to help players develop. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, no game's going to end in a true tie. You're going to have PKs. So I think there's some things that'll be kind of fun to watch and keep an eye on. And I think there'll be some great talent that comes through this this side. May not be next year that you see, but keep an eye at it two, three years down the line of of what this team can produce for the first team. So other than the the shootout role, is there any anything that people need to know about differences uh, or, you know, in the new league from what we've seen in the past? I mean, there's some little rules. Like I said, a lot of it has to do with mechanisms of uh, youth and uh, using academy players uh, you can bring a academy players up at will. Uh, you can drop first team players down pretty much at will, I believe, which is a variation of what it was in the USL championship. You had to send them on loan, which there was a lot of challenges in that and how you could do that when rosters freezed and froze. And there's a whole ton of things that have changed. I think first and foremost, excuse me, fans need to realize this league is an opportunity for young talent. Take that for what it is. Young talent might not be as great always, but you have to develop players in a pro setting somewhere. And when you look at some of these guys that spent time with the Monarchs, everybody is jazzed about Hasiel Orozco. Everybody keeps talking about him. Where did he spend his time last year with the Monarchs? So think about those type of guys that are now sitting on the end of the bench going, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm, I'm almost ready. Can he be our next center back? We're not going to be able to go and spend what some of the other teams in the league are maybe a little bit more than we ever have with, with Smith and Blitzer and what they've committed to. But I promise you, we're going to be able to develop talents through our Academy and through the Monarchs that is going to perform with Real Salt Lake at some point. I don't have any doubt on that, Put it and put it in stone, put it on a quote. I don't care. It's happening. And you're going to continue to see it happen. I mean, there's four, there's four goalies right now that could play with the Monarchs at any given moment that are all super talented. Are four going to make it to the first team? No. Does that mean we might sell one or two? Yeah, we definitely could. So there's money involved in this that could also be coming to help us. So I think a lot of cool things coming. So keep an eye on the league. Keep an eye on some of these young players. And I think people are going to be shocked to see what they see. So if you're John Kimball or or Elliot Fall, to you, what are the benefits of having sort of all tiers of RSL and RSL development Man. under that USL umbrella now. You know, I think it's I think it's awesome that everything is connected. Now you're not fighting a league that doesn't like you. You're now communicating with a league that's trying to help your players grow because they want to see talent come out of the academy through the MLS Next Pro and all the way to the first team. They do. 
I mean, it's plain and simple is they can grow more talent. The U.S. can become a league that exports talent. I mean, how fun was it to watch the USA game, you know, last night as the U.S. went riots for a period of time and and had these goals? And we don't look at those players and be like, yeah, they all grew up in the MLS. I mean, granted, there was a couple goals from FC Dallas, right? I, I think I saw FC Dallas's Twitter account said, FC Dallas two Panama zero at one point, uh, which was pretty funny. Um, but you're seeing some of these guys that grew up playing soccer here and had have made it out of the MLS and made it to Europe to the biggest stages, the Weston McKennies, the Christian Pulisic's, that these guys, that's the dream. And I think the hope for the Elliot Elliot's of the world, the Johns, can we develop some of that talent and create some of these next American superstars and some of this next American talent. And, you know, we've seen guys come through here. We're like, oh man, that, that almost could have been Richie Ledesma, Sebastian Soto. I mean, you, it's like Taylor Booth. You're like, man, were they, are they that close? But you look at guys now and you're like, could Haciel Orozco or David Ochoa be those next Mexican national stars? Can, you know, I mean, some of these other guys, do you, Aaron Herrera, can he be a U.S men's national team mainstay. I mean, that's the dream. Can we develop the world's game right here in our own backyard? And I think you're going to start to see that on our pyramid. And and the dream is to have these academy players at some point play for Real Salt Lake and get them into the riot in front of our fans. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. And I think at some point you'll start to see some of those get sold off as well, which is a tough scenario, but also part of the pyramid and the, and the long-term goals for this organization. Yeah, I mean, if RSL can really start to be a selling team like that's great that's super exciting i mean i imagine if you are an ix fan like you have to love watching your academy products just crush oh, yeah. it all over the world um, yeah it's hard to watch at times you know i'm sure there's dallas fans that are pretty ticked off that weston mckinney's not at, at dallas you know and yeah, they've haven't necessarily had the success if they sold guys but i think we i think you can have a balance of that selling off some of these players while not you know, having your first team drop completely off a cliff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of dropping off a cliff completely, let's talk about Sunday's game. Um, it was definitely a tough loss, uh, but I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, what was good uh, and, you know, what does the team need to do to to improve going forward? Like first and foremost, getting their legs under them in a real game, not just against a scrimmage against UVU or someone like that or Salt Lake Community College. I think what they got out of that game was the pace and play of an MLS Next Pro game. And I think they got to face a very talented side. Sounders had eight first team players down with them. I think they started seven of them. Um that's what a lot of teams in USL championship used to face with the Monarchs. And at times the Monarchs would all of a sudden have six first team players down. And I've always said, if you're going to send a player down, that kid needs to be the best player on the field. If he's coming from the first team and going to play with the, the, the Monarchs or anybody in the MLS next pro, they have to be the best player on the field. And I think some of those Sounders players showed it. And uh, I think to the Monarchs, um, what sucked for them is they didn't have some of their experienced players because we're so injury prone with Real Salt Lake right now that a lot of those guys that would be fringe players playing with the Monarchs or getting their minutes are with Real Salt Lake on the bench or training with them or not spending time with the MLS Next side, MLS Next pro side, but uh, spending time with the first team. So I think you saw a Monarchs team that was young, inexperienced, um, 
maybe overzealous at times on stuff. I think the defending was a little lackadaisical. And one of the goals inside the box, just a loose runner and a header and a goal. Uh, I think the goalkeeping was phenomenal. Gavin Beavers got put in a ton of t- difficult situations. And I think he came up big and someday remind me to tell you about his cool story. He's got an awesome background and and he's one of the most exciting players I think is out there um, in this organization, a bunch of raw talents. Mm. Um, but there's some guys that are, that are going to be fun to watch. I mean, you think about the team, there's 21 teenagers on the team. There's 21 kids on that team. If you want to say it that way, the youngest being 16 years old, the oldest, I think being 25, 26, uh, so you've got a broad spectrum of players. You've got some college Who's players. You've got some kids. Uh, Pedro Fonseca, okay. I believe, is one of the oldest okay, at 26. And uh, Pierre Reedy, I think, is the other. Okay. I, there's three of them that are right at that 26 age mark. Uh, then you've got guys. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Then you've got guys like Axel K, who's you know made his pro debut at – 15 14 whatever he was man and was getting played all over the world at his age you know what he was seeing and i think you're going to see guys like him have a chance to grow and and i think this monarch side i would not hold them to what you saw on sunday wasn't a great game they had a couple opportunities couldn't put them away i think they uh you know had a decent amount of possession obviously would have liked more they built out the built out of the back and one of the times it caught them dirty, uh, it's one of the fourth goal, I believe, was a giveaway from the center back. Um, so some of that is a product of, you know, youth and an experience. And I think you'll see some of that change as these guys have an opportunity to grow. So don't judge them on that first game, please. They're, they're a better side than losing 4 nothing. Yeah, I mean, on, on the positive side, uh, you know, what, what players this season are you expecting to impress most? You know, there's a lot of little, uh, a lot of guys that I'm keeping an eye on. I, like I said, the keepers are a situation that I want to keep a close eye on. I believe Mirza, uh, one of the assistant coaches, has done a phenomenal job coaching up some of these young, talented goalkeepers. You've got uh, Jeff Dusnip, you've got Gavin Beavers, you've got Delgado and Kelly are all keepers that I think are very serviceable and very talented. Uh, unfortunately, I think three of the four were injured on Sunday. Um, and I think you'll see some of that come into play as, you know, injuries with the first team injuries with these guys. And there's a lot of training going on and, and, uh, I think a pretty quick turnaround for a lot of these guys getting back in the season. So getting a few guys healthy will be important. I think some other guys, uh, Jude Wellings guy, you want to keep an eye on a lot of people are pretty high on him. I'm guessing Haciela Roscoe. We'll get some time with the Monarchs, and he's one that I would definitely be paying attention to. Uh, Julio Benitez is another guy a lot of people talk about. He's small, young. Um, he's a defensive mid uh, that that seems to have the skill necessary. He's not very big, and I think that's something that I hope he can grow into that role, size, and uh, and into the mentality of being that I, I, an Axel K. Uh, I'm intrigued by some of these guys. Another one, Pedro Fonseca, he wore the captain's armband for the team. And I would, he's another one that's 26 years old. And, and, uh, I think trying to find his way, he had a good college career at Louisville, which we've had some guys come in from Louisville that have had some great careers. Andrew Brody, uh, Tate Schmidt, both Louisville guys. So keep an eye on him as well. So yeah, a lot of different guys. I'm sure I could spend another 20 minutes talking about this team. I won't, won't bore everybody, but keep an eye on some of these young players. I, I think there's, experience and some definite big opportunities for some of these players. So if I'm being maybe a little bit cynical, it seems like 
and this is maybe looking at it through maybe 2019 lenses where it's like it was a competitive team um it feels like the monarchs were not great last year right they they struggled on the field and it Uh and it almost feels as though they downgraded this roster in a way uh bringing up more academy guys which is great from a pipeline perspective but you think they'll be able to be competitive within the league this season I think they will. I think there will be some learning curve on what's there. Know that the transfer windows apply to this team. I, I, I think you could bring in guys that are going to be difference makers at some point. So I would not sleep on Elliot and his team making changes. Tony, those guys making changes with this Monarchs roster as things go. I also said, and I'll say it again, I think there are some of these first team fringe players. They're going to spend quite a bit of time with the Monarchs. Um, Chris Garcia, what have we seen from him in two years? We haven't seen a whole ton, but he was talked about in the preseason so heavily. Zach Farnsworth, when he recovers from injury, where, where does he slot in? Where does he fit in? I mean, you got guys that instantly playing for the Monarchs, excuse me, change the Monarchs completely. Yeah. So I, I, I'm hesitant to say anything until we see a little bit more of what this league is. The Monarchs were not great in 2015 when they started. Their leading scorer was Max Rohoffer with six goals. Most people don't know who that name is. He's probably most notable for getting in a fist fight in a game um, at, <laughs> at, at uh, Rio Tinto Stadium. Well, that's just cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, the one of the only guys we saw really come out of that that really did much, I guess there was two guys, Emery Welshman and Ricardo Velasco. And uh, But that 15 team and 16 team – Really, we're figuring things out under Freddie, as ironically enough. But that 17 team went on to win the regular season title. So it may take two years, but I, I, would, I wouldn't sleep on, on what's going on with this organization as they continue to build. The academy has shown that it's one of the strongest academies in the nation. So why would we doubt on that next step in the pipeline being bad? Maybe it takes a second, but they'll figure it out. I promise. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about the RSL injuries of this roster is designed to be connected to the Monarchs. And it just happens yep. that this is one of the longest injury lists we've ever had for RSL, at least since I've tweeted out the injury report, which I've done since before I joined Soapbox. That was like one of the first things I started doing regularly. <laughs> uh, and this is incredibly long and that does affect the Monarchs too. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be really fascinating to see how a fully healthy RSL impacts the Monarchs and what they're able to do in the field. Um, Kind of just as an aside, what exactly is Tony Beltran's role within this team? Assistant general manager, I believe. For the Monarchs? Because I've also heard... No, I think he is... Monarchs general manager, right? Man, I I don't know. I I don't know that they have an official general manager for Real Monarchs, but... that is a great question. I feel like at one I'll point I check saw that. him listed as such, and then I haven't seen it since. And I'm just trying to let me see. I've, I've always wondered: did I just make that up? I, I could text Trey and find out real quick. But uh. yeah, well, we'll have to find out. Uh, that's something you'll have to add in as a as a post note. Right. I, you know, it's it's changed. That stuff's changed back and forth. I felt like Dan Egner was the last GM that really was. GM specific on the Monarchs and we saw the success he had there. And um, so I, you know, I don't know, but, but I know Tony and Elliot spend a lot of time 
taking care of and looking at things like that to, with the likes of the scouting department and what's there as well. So who knows? We'll find it out for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can look into that, uh, but uh, yeah. So I think pulling back a little bit, I think the big question everyone loves having about RSL that I want to take on the, to the Monarchs is top five Monarchs player in, in team history. Man, Lucas, I spent probably no joke two hours thinking about this today and then I got a notebook of notes. I went through and pulled every, I would say, top three players every year mm-hmm. and tried to compile my list. And, you know, I've got scratch paper here. I've gone back and forth. I feel pretty confident in my top four. I think my five and six could interchange slightly. And so fans debate me on that if you want. Uh, I'm open to it. But uh, here's my top five. All right, you ready for this? Number one, Chandler Hoffman. Okay, I like it. A lot of people are going to be like, huh? But the dude played had, has scored 66 USL championship goals. I think 29 of them were with the Monarchs. He's the all-time leading scorer. Yeah. So he did it in two seasons. So take that with, with the grand assault. He was only here two years. He was an MVP candidate in 2017. Hmm. So I don't think we've ever been able to say MVP candidate with the Monarchs other than him. So debate me on that, but I think that one's cut and dry. Number two, I think as could have an argument, but I'll put him squarely in number two, Michael Chang. Yeah, I like that. And I think that one is pretty cool for a lot of fans because now we're seeing him succeed with Real Salt Lake where Chandler went off, had injury issues after that and uh, has kind of fizzled away. Um, Chang's still hanging around, but uh, there's debate on how many games he's played, but I think he's played 71 plus games for the Monarchs. Uh, 17 goals uh, during that time. But his real statistics are pretty cool in the sense of 32 USL championship goals and 30, and this is a debate, 38 or 39 USL championship assists. Wow. It says 38 in the record book. Real Salt Lake put out 39. I don't know what the right answer is. So I'm going to say 38 slash 39 assists. He was at one point the all-time leading assist man in the USL championship. Mm. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And he's got an awesome story. If you haven't heard that, uh, pretty cool from the Cuba side of of what he did and how he got in the league and all that. But uh, he's fifth now all-time in assists in the USL Championship still at this point. So pretty cool on that side. Uh, Hoffman is also fifth all-time in goals in the USL Championship with his 66. So I'm just throwing on those about, both out. I think the next one is kind of a debate. His statistics may not say it, but I think he was integral to what happened. Jack Blake. That's good. I, he's just the nicest dude. He is a nice dude. And I think nice doesn't always win you in a scenario like this, but I think his statistics don't completely show that. But I think he he led the side as the captain to the USL championship in 2019. 65 games, 10 goals. Um, I think he's a good fit as the number three. Number four, Sebastian Velasquez, mm. Rufio, as we like to say, right? Yeah. Back in the day. Um, 49 games, 16 goals. Uh, he he helped the team in 2017 as well uh, win that regular season. Him and Chandler Hoffman kind of went back and forth, and I believe he was the reason Chandler Hoffman sits so high on my list. He was number five. Real quick, I mean, he was definitely far and away the most excited I ever was for a Monarch sighting because it was someone we all knew and we're, we're so glad to have back in the organization. So true. So, so true. Number five, James Moberg. And I think you could debate this one a little bit. An interchange, a guy like Andrew Brody, mm-hmm. 
Uh, but Moberg had a hundred, I think, in seven hundred and seven plus games for the Monarchs over six years. I, I just think it's it, you're hard pressed to leave a journeyman like that. Yeah. I mean, not a journeyman, a guy that has spent his huge time with the club. He was around for every trophy. Uh, so I think that's another reason why you have to keep him up high on the list. Um, I, I also like him because he's a Seattle Mariners fan, but that's not the reason he made the list, but I do like him a little bit more from mm-hmm. that. And he just got an assistant coaching job at UNLV. So congratulations to him and his wife yeah. headed down there. Uh, some cool news that came out, I think last week, but uh, number five, him number six, you kind of say you could interchange maybe Andrew Brody, who had a very successful Monarchs run, is now we're seeing succeed with them. I think your honorable mentions, Douglas Martinez, who's continuing to have success at the USL Championship level with Sacramento and Mark Briggs. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool over there for him. He scored a couple penalty kicks. I think you could put Nick Beasler on there, uh, Ricardo Velasco, uh, Kalen Ryden. I mean, I think those are the ones I would put on the list as the top five monarchs with some honorable mentions aside so hopefully that list is doable we'll have to tweet it interesting out interesting no, no holland in there <laughs> i love luke but uh i don't think he would make my list there's a lot of guys in between him and uh him in this list but uh he was a great asset to have in 2019 yeah. for this club yeah definitely uh that is a really solid list certainly much more thought out than any top five i would come up with so thank you for sharing that let's get it on twitter lucas we have to get some debate going let's see if people will come at that's uh at the soapbox and see if we can uh find something uh better yeah absolutely uh maybe i've thought maybe i've missed someone or maybe i'm looking at my statistics wrong i don't know there's probably someone i'm like oh man i missed that person so it feels like there's just so much more room for discussion with the monarchs whereas if if you're doing this with RSL, like everyone agrees on at least three of the five. Um, yep. Yeah, I'll have to remember when when we publish this to to tweet out about it because Zach Deal. gave his, you've given yours now. Um, it would be fun to hear some more of uh, yeah. what, what Monarchs fans have in their top five. Um, I love it. So I wanted to ask you specifically about Hamas and Olave. Uh, obviously like a legend within this organization. He, he won the 2019 uh, championship as an interim manager. Um, how, how do you rate him as, as, as a coach this far in his career and kind of what do you think is next for him? You know, I think Thomason has done a great job being tasked with the challenges he's being tasked with. Um, I think in 2019, he finally got given the true squad. Um, and I know that was partially a Mark Briggs year. So I think you've got to give a little credit both ways. Mark Briggs also got them that 2017 and Hamason was one of his assistants. Um, but I think Hamason, I would rate fairly high. I mean, even if you're just going to rate Monarchs all-time coaches, obviously he has to be up there because he won a title um, and his longevity has been there. Uh, I think the challenge for him has been how does he transition to being more than just the Monarchs coach? Um, I think language has maybe hindered that a little bit um over the years i mean he's colombian he speaks great english um but i i don't think he was ever willing to be super outspoken about it and i think uh sometimes you have to be the guy that grabs the bull by the horns right uh and uh, has he done that i don't know uh i i think he's a great coach i think he does a pretty good job of 
uh, handling the tasks he's been given, taking teams, players from academy, first team, injury loan downs, whoever it may be, and meshing them together. And I don't think that's an easy task. I think it's hard to judge guys like him in the scenarios because they never truly have the roster they want to put out on the field every week, week in and week out. Um, but I think he's a guy that you'll continue to see grow in the organization. Um, and I would hope he gets a shot to be a Pablo assistant at some point. Mm -hmm. Is that a step down from, I don't know. I don't know what that means or what his career path that he wants to take. Uh, but I do know he's a legend in Real Salt Lake history. I know he's a guy that we should be grateful that, uh, has put time in with the Monarchs and helped some of these young guys grow. And I still know he could beat up most people on the field with the muscles he has. So uh, don't don't cross him if you if you don't want to get those uh, traps popping out and the muscles coming out. But uh, in all serious note, I think he's been a a great coach for the Monarchs. I think he's continuing to grow, and I hope he continues to grow as a coach. That we can continue to grow some of those coaching. Uh, those coaches at that level that can hopefully help us have more success and continued success at the first team level. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's been kind of a track, you know, Freddie, obviously a Monarchs head coach and then assistant in RSL, then RSL head coach like yep. that seems like if this is a team about development and pipeline, like that's great. It's really exciting. And you know what, frankly, I think you would have seen that with uh, Mark Briggs. If those allegations hadn't come out, mm -hmm. they were unfounded and untrue. Uh, from what we what we ended up learning, but uh, it sunk his opportunity here. And I know that's an un, not a topic a lot of people like to touch, but uh, I think he was a phenomenal coach. And I think you're going to see ha him have continued success at the USL Championship. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he was able to come back here and, and redeem himself a little bit, which would be cool. Yeah, it was really fascinating to see uh, when he uh, – I guess it was preseason last year for RSL that they uh, uh, played Sacramento Republic um, and just how warmly he was received by like all the coaching staff, a lot of the players, a lot of the players had played for him. Uh, yeah. And, uh, like even, you know, he was chatting up with Dan Farns, the uh, legendary groundkeeper yep. of RSL. And oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's really cool that he is still so well liked here. He's still a guy I stay in touch with. I mean, I, uh, I, I respect Mark Briggs and uh, hope he could make it back here someday. I, I think his coaching style is awesome. I think, you know, I think he had the perfect storm when he had that team with Dan Egner building a, a roster that that really worked for him at the USL Championship. I mean, Dan used to watch more USL Championship games than anybody I knew, and uh, I think they built a team with Chandler and and uh, and Sebastian in seventeen, and then in nineteen, which who knows if Mark would have got to finish that out if had things played out differently and won the title. But uh, I think you saw what the club wanted to do at that point and they really executed well. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have a sense that, you know, what, what the connection between, you know, Alave and his staff is like between uh, Pablo and, and his staff? Well, I know they spend a lot of time with them. Uh, Preseason, they were there uh, together. Uh, I'm sure they collaborate on a on a regular basis, and you're going to have to see them collaborate more as you've got some of these guys coming down with the specific purpose of getting minutes. Um, and you have to wonder, you know, how much him and Pablo connect on on philosophies. I I, I don't know that I've ever asked that question. It's something I have to bring up the next time I speak to Hamison, whether it's in person or on a press conference. But uh, I would guess there's heavy communication between that staff. I know that at times there was 
a handful of those monarchs coaches um, working with the first team in a lot of different ways. And whether it was set pieces, Matt Glazer, I know at one point was working with the first team on set pieces. Uh, I'm sure they use some of Pablo's. I mean, Pablo probably uses some of Homison's uh, knowledge as a center back. I can only imagine that's happening there. And then you're getting some of these guys that have been trained by like Mirza, for example, as goalkeepers and are going through his system or what he's trying to do, prepping them for the first team. So there's, there's connections there. Uh, how deep, I guess we'll have to have to have a part two of this whole podcast to find <laughs> out some of these answers to the questions we haven't been able to answer today. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, that is, those are all the questions I have. Is there anything you wanted to add or? No, I thank you. Thanks for thanks for uh, having me on. Thanks to all the fans for for listening, interacting with me on social media. I love jumping on Twitter and getting a tweet from somebody. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find at Landon Southwick. Hit me up. I'm I'm always down to talk soccer, talk about life, talk about whatever. I, you know, I I feel connected to this club, like I said earlier, because it started when I was 15 years old, and I've been here since day one. And and I'll continue to be here. My my kids wear RSL jerseys on the regular. My son walks an RSL hat. I mean, we're 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 in it. Uh, we're committed. We're all in on this this organization, and and hope to see more championships and more trophies uh, come to this great state and these these great fans here. So thanks for letting me be a small part of of all this. Hopefully, I get get to continue to uh, make my way around the club in some form and uh, help fans connect to this young Monarchs team. All right. Well, Landon, thank you so much. Always appreciate your insight and your willingness to share. Um, Everyone, thanks for listening. And we'll be back in a few weeks with another interview.